You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. This episode is where I talk about the experience of failure, failure in practice, and also failure in life. Now, before you tune out, this story has a positive ending. Failure is the mother of success. And I'm where I am today, not because it was easy for me, but because I learned through each of my stumbles and falls how to pick myself up and be that little bit stronger. And I share with you the inspirational story of what it means to fail and learn fast from your failure so that you can truly succeed. And then When you reach those peaks of success, it just has that much more depth and meaning in it. Hey everyone, it's Kino here. Welcome to the Yoga Inspiration podcast and video series. I've been practicing yoga for over 20 years now. And when you look at my practice, you might see a handstand or a backbend and think it came naturally for me. But the reality of my experience on the yoga mat has been a series of failures and difficulties. So I want to share with you a little bit about the reality of what it takes to stay inspired to practice when the practice itself is not so easy. You might be like me, coming to the practice with no background in anything physical. When you try the postures in the yoga practice, one of the things that you'll first discover quite quickly is that the practice is actually, well, it's pretty difficult. It's not so easy. So if you expect to come into the yoga practice and just be good right away, failure is something that you'll meet almost immediately in your very first yoga practice. Rather than make you run away, the idea with the difficulty that you face in the yoga practice is to retrain the habituated response to difficulty and to failure so that you can retrain and recast your thinking about it, building new reaction patterns to moments of difficulty and adversity in your life. When I first started practicing, I was not naturally good at yoga, and I was also not naturally good at failing. I kind of wanted everything to happen really, really quickly. I would get so frustrated when the postures wouldn't happen. I would try to sort of force the movement to happen immediately, and that never really goes so well. When I first tried the posture called Pincha Mayurasana, which is balancing on the forearms, it was so, so difficult for me that I just got so frustrated. I felt like every day I come into the practice and I just fail at this really badly. And it felt like I was beating my head against the wall, like I was just repeating the same thing over and over again with nowhere to go and no path in front of me to lead me out of the rut that I was in. 
And I'm sorry to say that I also kind of took it personally. I ended up thinking that I'd never do the posture, that there was something wrong with me, that my inability to balance in a yoga pose meant that I was somehow less of a worthy human being. Looking back, it seems kind of ridiculous, but I'm so glad for that period of nearly two years where I failed at that posture every single day. It taught me so much. So I want to share with you the process that I went through around failure and how I've learned to change my thinking about it. And hopefully that will inspire you to change your thinking about those difficult moments you'll inevitably face in your yoga practice and also in your life. The yoga practice is most meaningful when you use it as a laboratory to learn deep, valuable spiritual life lessons, and you take those lessons off of the mat and then apply them into your everyday life. If the yoga practice is just about bending, twisting, and lifting, then, you know, it's only physical or only take you so far. So really dive in deeply and be inspired to learn those powerful life lessons that are really the heart of what yoga is all about. So here I was, relatively new to the practice, throwing myself on my forearms, trying to balance. And I did what many people do and what I see many students do. Is I tried to throw my legs up and somehow miraculously catch the balance. I wasn't thinking about technique and I wasn't really learning the lessons along the way. I was just doing. And I see so many students enter yoga postures this way with the kind of almost obsessive mind that just says, I want to do, I want to do, I want to do. And I'm sure you understand that that grasping quality of mind is something you experience not just on the yoga mat, but in your life. Think back for a moment to something you really desired strongly, something you really wanted. Maybe it was a relationship. You looked at someone, a romantic interest longingly and desired for that person to like or love you back. Or perhaps you desired a job and thought about it incessantly or anything else, whether a car or a trip or something else. We desired so strongly could consume you. And when that level of obsession is activated, the thinking mind and the ability to reason and learn and kind of drop down is, well, it's kind of hampered a little bit. When I was trying pinch in my arasana, I was trying to balance on my forearms, I was so emotionally invested in the outcome that I wasn't able to pause and think and really break down good, solid technique. So even though I failed over and over again, I really believe that I could have learned those lessons faster if I wasn't so emotionally attached to the outcome. So what does that mean? Well, the first thing to think about when you fail at something, whether that's a yoga posture or a situation in your life is to reflect on your level of reactivity. If you notice that when something doesn't work out, whether it's trying to jump up into a yoga posture or whether it's a romantic relationship or a job or anything else, if your emotional reactivity is devastatingly high and it impairs your ability to think clearly and reasonably, that's a really big sign for you to use that failure to pause, reflect, and tune in. The second thing to think about in relation to this is, are you actually admitting that you're failing? Because many people, when they just try to do, don't actually pause and drop down and realize, hey, this hasn't worked out for me. I'm not doing so well. This situation was kind of a dead end. Whether again, whether it's a yoga pose, a relationship, or some other life situation, if you don't admit 
that things aren't going well for you, if you don't admit your failure, there's no possibility or potential to actually learn from it. So let's go back to my journey and my experience in Pinchamayarasana. Now, this is a pose that today I really, really enjoy. But during that two years when I was really, really struggling, I was falling and toppling out of the posture, I never stopped to ask myself those two questions. Number one, let me admit my failure. Number two, let me look at my emotional attachment to the outcome here. Without those two questions, it's hard to actually pause and learn the life lessons. I was pretty stubborn, so I kept practicing, pretty determined, which you could say is a positive aspect of stubbornness. So I really, I kept at it. And after about two years, I developed the strength and found the balance somehow and found myself upside down, balancing on my forearms. And it took two years of failing persistently to learn the lesson physically, spiritually, emotionally. Along the way, I really believe that had I admitted my own failures in the posture, my own kind of inability to understand the technique, then I could have learned much faster. Also, if I would have addressed the emotionality, my attachment to a particular outcome in a particular time frame, that would have set me so much more free spiritually. The culture that we live in today, really in the world and definitely here in North America where I live, is a success-oriented and driven culture. There's a lot of pressure that's placed on ourselves and sort of you know, placed on us from society, whether society in general or maybe our parents or our culture, to succeed, to be the best. There's a lot of talk about being the best. For example, when I thought about launching this podcast, I was really hesitant and I thought, oh gosh, what if it's not the best it can be? What if it's just like a mediocre average podcast and it's just languishing out there and nobody tunes in and nobody listens? Well, then you know what? Maybe I won't even try. Fear of failure is a huge inhibition to actually getting out there and succeeding. When you let fear be the driver of your actions, then you end up in kind of a repetitive loop where you desire something, but you're afraid to allow yourself to open to the potential that it might succeed. So you just kind of, I don't know, languish out there. And I languished for a while about this podcast and thought, well, I'm not going to do it because what if it just fails? What if it's just not good enough? And that's another aspect of failure that I want to talk to everyone about. If you wait until everything's perfect, until you feel you have a perfect thing, then you probably will never even try. And I talk to so many people who are afraid of failure in yoga, so they never get on their mats. Some people say to me, well, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. One day when I get more flexible, then I'll start yoga. It's almost as though you know that it's going to be difficult or you're afraid that it's going to be difficult and you recognize that there's going to be some hardship, so then you quit before you try. One thing I've learned from the yoga practice is that it's important that you try. The effort is what's valued in the journey of yoga. The success is something you find in the act itself. The yoga practice is a wonderful paradigm change from our success-oriented and driven culture that desires a number one seat or nothing at all. The success-oriented culture that we live in seems to equate value of worth or self-worth with value of achievement, as though you become a more valued human being when you can tick off boxes of achievement. 
So it's easy to say, well, if you're number one podcaster, if you're number one in your high school graduating class, if you're number one sales in your region or you're number one in general, then you feel like, oh, well, I'm the best. So this is a sense of worthiness and it's a, you know, an idea that that's what it takes to succeed. The yoga practice is a huge paradigm change, changes everything because in the yoga practice, we're not here to rank the students or even to rank ourselves. The competitive mindset that sets you up for fear of failure is something we work on. We try to mitigate that as much as possible by placing equal value to the work that every single student puts into the yoga practice. If you think that achieving a posture is going to make you a success as a yogi, I have to say that those successes are short-lived. And this is probably because of our competitive mindset, but it's also to teach you a lesson about the hollowness of success itself. So let's again return to my journey in Pincha Mayurasana, that balancing posture on the forearms. I still remember the day that I balanced on my forearms. It was really exciting because I felt like, wow, now I can finally do this. I felt for a moment, a fleeting moment, like, well, now I'm really someone. Why? Because I can balance on my forearms. And also because I didn't quit despite two years of failure. So that effort of not quitting was more a source of positive self-esteem for me than the actual act of performing the posture. And this is the way that the yoga practice eventually teaches you to value the work that you put in, to value the effort that you put in, rather than the achievement. The moment you balance, it's not like something magical happens. It's not like there I was balancing on my forearms and snap, the world changed and light beams streamed in from the other side or anything like that. I was still the same person balancing on my arms. But I did bring with me into that inverted position the life lessons that I learned along the way. So the famous inventor that you've probably heard of called Thomas Edison. Well, Thomas Edison, he's been noted to say that he's failed over 10,000, 100,000 times over and over again. And asked about his failures, he said, you know, it's not that I've failed 10,000 times. I've succeeded at finding 10,000 different ways that don't work. <laughs> So that paradigm is really important because it allows you to learn the lesson of the failure and also keep the energy and inspiration to get back up and try again. If you have a low self-esteem or if you feel a little bit down about yourself or suffer from bouts of depression, and I should pause right there and say that I actually have you know, pretty low self-esteem and I've struggled with depression for the majority of my life, and it feels like Sometimes I don't even have the architecture for good self-esteem so that when I do something that's really positive and get good feedback from the world, it's almost like I don't have a place for that within myself. Instead, what I seem to have a place for is a rumination on all the things that go wrong. And that's something that can be really destructive about failure. So the yoga practice teaches you to change your whole paradigm about that. And I'd like to break that down for you a little bit. Instead of judging yourself by your achievements and checking off boxes, check, achieve that posture, check, got that one too, check, got that one too, this is engaging in what you could call a goal-oriented thinking. And when you goal-orient, it's a little bit likened to the analogy of running up a mountain. And when you run up a mountain at full speed, 
the intention that you take with yourself is that you're going to be happier and you're going to feel more fulfilled. You're going to feel like you're a better person once you reach the mountain peak. I'm a goal-oriented thinker, and I was very much a goal-oriented thinker when I started my yoga journey, and it's very much kind of the paradigm of our contemporary culture, at least here in North America, is the idea that when you achieve all those check marks in your life as well as in your yoga practice, you'll be a happier and better person. So you're running up the mountain, you've got the goal of getting to the top of the mountain set, and there's this rushing feeling about it. There's this kind of, you know, almost obsessive desire. In the yoga practice, we call this a samskara, a desire for a positive outcome. In Sanskrit, we could say sukhanushai ragaha. Sukha is the Sanskrit word for pleasure, and raga is the Sanskrit word for attachment. And when we have goal-oriented thinking, we're very, very attached to a specific outcome because we think it will bring us pleasure. Everything that you want in life, you want because you think it's going to make you a happier and more whole human being. So when you're running up the mountain with that goal-oriented thinking, you don't have time to stop and learn things. You just trudge up the mountain as fast as you can and hit it as hard as you can. And you might tumble down, fall along the way. But even if you get to the top of the mountain, it doesn't bring you any sense of lasting fulfillment. Instead, you get there and you realize standing at that mountain peak of accomplishment or achievement, whether it's a yoga pose or a life circumstance, that, hey, here I am at the top of the mountain. And now what? What do I have to show for it? Are there friends with me? Is there love in my life? No, probably not. Or maybe to a lesser degree than you thought. You're still the same person that you were at the bottom of the mountain now you're at the top of the mountain. Goal-oriented thinkers, when they're at the top of the mountain, what the heartbreaking thing is that you immediately see a higher peak and then the goalpost just shifts a little bit further out there. Some people refer to this as someday when type of thinking. And this type of thinking says that someday when I get to the top of the mountain, I'll be happy. Someday when I finally balance on my forearms, I'll be happy. Someday when I finally get that perfect job, I'll be happy. But when you stand at that mountain peak, you immediately see a new mountain peak that calls you forward. So standing on the top of the mountain of that goal, you look ahead and you see, oh, someday when I get to that new mountain, then I'll be happy. So there's this feeling that achievement seems to try to fill an empty crevice within yourself. And it's a perpetual, never-ending kind of game that you play or race that you try to win. So I want to introduce you to the yoga paradigm, which you could call process-oriented thinking. Process-oriented thinking is something else entirely. Process-oriented thinking means that, hey, here we are, and I know that we're on this journey to get to the top of the mountain, but process-oriented thinking is more involved in the process, in the texture, and the richness of the journey itself. So using that analogy of climbing to the top of the mountain, the process-oriented thinker is interested in how each step is being taken and the quality of the journey. And the process-oriented thinker allows themselves to go on a meandering path that may lead to beautiful flowers and a mountain stream and a little bit of time with animals, deer, maybe roaming around in the environment, 
process-oriented thinking is also non-competitive. So if along the way you see somebody that needs a little help or even just wants to chat and hang out for a little while, you stop and you can spend time and connect on a deeper level. Process-oriented thinking in your yoga practice allows you to not care whether or not you achieve a particular pose, but instead gets interested in the intricacies of breath, of body, anatomy, movement, technique, and the quality and texture of your mind as you step on your yoga mat. Goal-oriented thinking treats the poses as kind of check marks that you check off and move beyond. Process-oriented thinking is never done with a pose or a practice. Instead, it's happy to go up and down the same mountain over and over again. Goal-oriented thinking is inherently competitive and can foster either self-competition where you're trying to best yourself and you're trying to constantly do better than yourself one day after another, or you're trying to be better than the people around you and you're deriving self-worth from how far ahead of others you are. And I think you can see that this is not really a recipe for true peace and true lasting self-esteem. The yoga practice takes as a premise the perception and the experience of wholeness, the idea that wholeness is a natural, innate, and inherent quality of every being. So that means you and I, together, we are whole and complete exactly as we are. And if along those lines, in our journey, whether that journey is towards a yoga pose or whether that journey is in our life, we happen to stumble and fall along the way, well, that's all right. It's just part of the process. One story that I think will give you a little bit of hope and inspiration for how your failures can lead to success is the story of children. Maybe some of you who are joining this series have young children, or if you can reflect back to when you had young children, or just think about toddlers who are learning to walk. What is the number one thing that toddlers who are learning to walk do? Well, they take maybe a few teetering steps and they fall. You could chalk each of those falls up to a failure, but that wouldn't necessarily be right. That would be a flawed way or limited way of thinking about it. Instead, when toddlers are teetering and toddling around and they're learning to walk, it's totally acceptable for their mindset and also for the mindset of their parents for them to make what are healthy and safe, gentle little falls along the way. What's interesting is that each of those falls teaches the body how to sense where it is in space. This is a neuromuscular function called proprioception the ability of the body to sense where it is in space. Imagine that you yourself are a young child learning to walk. The intention here is not to learn to walk as fast as you can so you can beat the race and be toddler number one, best walker of the century. The idea is just you know to learn to walk so you can be a well-functioning human being that has the capacity to ambulate around and walk around. So second, the intention probably a little bit deeper is just to spend time with your friends and family and your loved ones and just kind of share that heart space of learning and growing, you know, with your family. 
as a small child, you're not really cognizant of those deeper, you know, those deeper feelings on kind of a, a, an articulate level. But in the heart, there's a faith that every child has that carries that child through each fall pick themselves back up and try again, pick themselves back up and try again. The emotionality is often missing, of course, unless, you know, the child hits themselves on something hard and is in the short-term pain. But the full faith about one day, I'm going to walk, it's there. Now imagine if you could have that same faith in your heart each time you failed in a yoga pose. Then you wouldn't be emotionally disturbed about not getting it that day. You would know that even if it took you the rest of your life, you'd get back up, you'd try it again with full faith that one day when it's meant to happen, it would happen for you too. There's never a child that after falling sits down and cries and says, oh, I wonder if I'll ever walk. I'm such a big failure. I can't believe it. My life is such a failure. I'm the last person to walk in my class. Poor me. I've engaged in that type of thinking in my adult life where when things haven't worked out, I've felt like, oh, poor me. Sometimes when I evaluate my own accomplishments, I feel like it's not good enough. And I, I'm sorry to say that Sometimes I even feel like my life is a failure. Maybe you do too. We have the tendency to judge ourselves so harshly. And this is why I'm so grateful for the yoga practice because it's taught me how to recast the whole paradigm of achievement into a paradigm of process-oriented thinking, whereas I can understand that I'm learning each step of the way and I don't need to get any achievement or any yoga pose to validate my sense of self-worth. Through the practice of yoga, I've had moments of deep connection that aren't related to any posture that I've been able to do that I could only really liken to the grace of the spirit that's endowed in every being, this kind of universal, vibrant life that I believe is contained within all things. And that's really showed itself to me as within me or as kind of unfolding and living within me and within all things and all beings. So if the sense of wholeness is related to an inherent quality of being rather than all of our achievements, many people question the need to bother achieving at all. Some people say, well, why does it matter if I succeed or fail? If I'm a good person and I'm naturally and already organically and intrinsically whole, why don't I just lie here, take a nap and rest in the pure faith that I'm good enough and whatever I want is going to come knocking at my door? Well, you know, this is sort of this extremist thinking that takes what is a good principle to an illogical extreme. I kind of like the idea that the yoga practice and perhaps life is a balance between effort and surrender. When we're too attached to a particular outcome, our effort can be counterproductive. But when we don't apply enough effort and we just feel entitled for things to arrive on our doorstep, that can be a restriction and a limitation as well. Let's cycle this all the way back to my journey into Pinchamayarasana. I remember when I was trying that people will come up to me and ask me questions and say, hey, Kino, you've been practicing for this long. Shouldn't you be doing this posture by now? And I remember feeling so frustrated because I felt like, yes, I totally should be doing this now. Do you know why I'm not? But 
I felt frustrated and guilty and felt like it was my fault that I hadn't succeeded yet. So I just tried harder and I pushed harder without realizing that the body, the mind needs time to learn and integrate lessons. And those two years I spent learning to balance in Pinchamayarasana taught me so much physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, that if I'd rushed the journey, I wouldn't have learned those lessons. So again, I'm so, so thankful for that. I took that lesson off the mat and I applied it into my real life, you could say. Not like yoga is not real life, but you know what I mean. When I had the idea that it would be fun to share my teachings by writing a book, I really enjoy writing and I thought, wow, this would be a really amazing thing to do. So I wrote a book proposal and I started sending it around to different book agents. Well, I sent that book proposal to over a hundred book agents and I only heard back from 10. All 10 of the first batch of book agents that I sent my first book proposal to wrote me back and said that I didn't have enough of a following. I wasn't a good enough writer. I should you know, try again. So uh, in other words, I failed. Well, I kept working on my book proposal. I sent it around again to a whole series of new book agents. And I think there were probably another 50 or 60 that I found. And I heard back from two this time, one that said, you know, maybe one day when you develop a bigger following. Second, who said, you know what, I like your message and let's work on this. That one book agent who believed in me was all I needed to open the door to becoming an author. Now I've written a bunch of books, maybe you've even read one or two of them. And if I hadn't had the experience of facing failure over and over again, not taking it personally and learning the lesson, then I probably would have given up and just taken it really personally and said, oh, well, I guess I'm not meant to be an author. Oh, poor me. I'm not good enough. I'm not you know, popular enough, it'll never happen for me, poor me, I'm a failure. Instead, what I did was recognize, number one, the book proposal that I have was not good enough. So the same way I recognized, hey, I'm not balancing in pinch of my ass and I better try it again. So my advice to you is when you're failing, recognize and admit your failure. Don't run away from it. People often don't like to admit that something hasn't worked out. We hold and cling on to things perhaps far beyond reason. Sometimes it serves us, but sometimes it's really useful to admit, hey, this didn't work out so well. You know, we spent a lot of money on this and nothing really happened, whether it was you know, a marketing venture or whether you did some sort of business activity or you're just trying to yoga post to realize, you know what, I'm not doing so well at this. I don't understand. Whatever method I've got happening in my body, it's not leading me to success. So let me reset. Admitting your failure opens up the possibility of learning. It also shows humility as though you're willing to say, hey, I am not succeeding here that opens the door for you to be able to ask for help. And it makes you a teachable student. So when you come in and you just do, and you just do and do and do and do, you have this attitude again of that goal-oriented thinking, like you're gonna do it all on your own, it's all on your shoulders, you're gonna force and push, you're gonna make it happen. But if you admit that you're failing, sometimes failure can be actually your best teacher because if you push and push and push and work a paradigm, Take that goal-oriented analogy of trying to climb up that mountain. You push, you push, you step on other people, you bulldoze your way up, but you never get to the top. Then that failure takes a chink out of the armor of ego and you can get real. Hey, I didn't do it. I never got to the top of the mountain. The technique I was using 
didn't work. I failed. That allows you to regroup and learn. Now, the trick with what you could call learning to fail up is not rehashing the past. So the moment you recognize it, great, check. Move on. Recognize, I haven't succeeded here. Be open to learn. Forgive yourself for the failure. Forgive yourself for working a flawed paradigm and then press the reset button and start again, hopefully learning from your mistakes. Evaluate openly. If you can, where did I fail and what went wrong? And if you need help to get those pointed out to you, I recommend working with a coach or a teacher in that moment who can kind of point it out to you and say, you know what? Uh, take, for example, Pinchamayarasana. Uh, my technique when I first started was deeply flawed. I just threw both my legs up and thought, hopefully it'll happen. Now I teach people how to really build up with good solid technique that I learned from my years of failure. Whenever I see a student who's not engaging in the solid work of technique, I really help them build up from the foundation, assuming that the student is teachable and is receptive to the message that I'm bringing. So when you admit your failure, it's not failure forever, but it's an opportunity for humility and learning. Being a teachable student and recognizing that you have something to learn. It's a really beautiful, beautiful state. Second, letting go of ruminating on the past so that you can forgive yourself and move on. If you have a mind like mine that lacks kind of a really good architecture for positive self-esteem, in resting moments, your mind can just go back to the past and then rehash it and you beat yourself up over it again and again. You kind of review your mistakes and play it over and over again. Oh, if I'd only said this, or if I'd only done that, maybe things would be different. If it was like this, or if it was like that, maybe it would be different. Unfortunately, what happens in that situation is that your perpetual thinking about the past makes the future predictable. In other words, the more you think about the past, the more the future looks just like the past. So when we're talking about failure, when you get real about failure, it's super important to forgive yourself, learn whatever lessons you've learned from it, and move on. And even if you make the same mistake again, look for what you've learned along the way. So for example, there's an expression that's really popular in most business culture these days, and that expression you probably heard is fail fast. And what this means is that when you fail, you want to learn from your failures so that the next time, even if you fail, there's a shorter time between when you initiate the course of action and when you fail so that you can learn the lessons faster and hopefully slow down the time between the actions you take and an eventual successful motion. In yoga practice, I tried this out myself. So my technique for Pinchamayarasana was to just do and do and do and do and force and force and force and force. And I got really exhausted, it was really hard. It was like a long, tough journey so that when I finally balanced in Pinchamayarasana, it felt like, wow, that was really a lot. I felt like, almost like I couldn't even enjoy that I'd succeeded at something I'd worked for two years because it was so difficult and so hard and just so much. So when I was learning the next posture called Mayurasana, it was just as hard for me, actually. Both these postures translated into English have something to do with peacocks. Pinch of Mayurasana is the feathered peacock pose and Mayurasana is the peacock pose. So they're both peacocks. Now, let me just pause and say, I actually really like peacocks. They're beautiful birds and they live in the trees near my mom's house and I love peacocks. I don't have anything against peacocks, just these postures. Peacock poses were really hard for me. So when I tried Mayurasana, here I was faced with a new cycle of failure. And I decided to change my thinking. 
Instead of equating my sense of self-worth with the achievement of a posture, I decided to say to myself, Kino, you do it, you don't do it, you're a good person. That's what's most important. So when I tried my urasana, balancing on the elbows, I decided to say to myself, you're going to try once a day and let it be enough. Just once, give it a good shot, don't get emotionally attached to the outcome, and pause and think. And in the aspect of thinking, I was able to develop better technique faster, and each day that I failed, rather than beating myself up about it and forcing myself to try it again and force it and work with it, what I did was I paused and I thought, well, what felt better today? Hmm, what felt worse today? And each day I had a new idea. Let me see if I can engage my abdominal muscles. Let me see if I can pitch my shoulders a little forward. Let me see if I can try it like this. And some days it went well and some days it didn't go so well. So in other words, I failed fast and I was cognizant about what methodology I was using. And in this way, I was so much happier along the journey. Now as a yoga practitioner and as a teacher of yoga for many years, I really encourage a paradigm of process-oriented thinking. And I feel like if you can learn that on your yoga mat, you can take that out into your life. Think about this. Here we are, pressured to be number one. You want to get the gold medal. It's the gold medalist who's put, you know, on the top of every advertisement and gets all the prizes. It's the winner of Wimbledon that we remember. It's the top-ranked tennis seed. It's the number one podcast. It's the number one pop song that we remember. And then there's not so much space in the top for all the number ones. So what process-oriented thinking allows you to do is learn to be a happy number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand. You can learn to be happy wherever you are in your journey and not equate self-worth with the need to achieve. Because if you think that you're going to be happy when you get to that number one spot, whether that number one spot is at the top of a corporate ladder or the top of a pop song chart or anything else, whenever you achieve that goal, if you do achieve it, it's not like snap, you're going to be happy. In fact, it's the happiness that you cultivate along your journey in the process of the journey that gets magnified with your success. So when you engage in a type of thinking that's rooted in holism and you understand that you can be happy wherever you are in your journey, then it takes the need to achieve completely off the table, whether you're number one, number 1,000, or you decide not to participate in any type of ranking, you can learn to truly embrace a sense of self-worth that's not rooted in ticking off any boxes of achievement. You can learn to be happy where you are and let that happiness be expressed in all your actions. Then whatever you achieve begins to, again, be a magnifier of the state of emotions that you carry within yourself. I've learned this through my daily yoga practice. And I think it's super important that as a yoga practitioner, as a spiritual journey student, you understand what failure means and how to think about it. If you think it's going to be a steadier, a steady linear progress forward and you're just going to come in and achieve all the poses, then unfortunately you're going to be in for a big wake-up call. You're going to face failure and difficulty on the yoga mat. Rather than thinking that's a problem, I want to encourage you to think of it as a chance to change 
your habitual response to failure and to change the whole paradigm of success. Instead of thinking that you need success to be happy, be happy exactly where you are and let all your actions flow from a place of true joy, true contentment along the way. The process-oriented thinker, going back to that analogy of climbing up the mountain, is happy to smell the flowers, to stop and get these nice textural moments of intimacy and connection with other beings and with themselves. So when you're on the journey of life, just like the journey of yoga, learn to enjoy and cherish each moment. The time that we spend here on earth is so precious, so valuable. It's not about checking off boxes along the way. It's about sharing kindness and love and understanding that who you are is a reflection of all the love and all the light and all the kindness that you share in this world. Learn to be kind to yourself and understand that you'll fail at that too. We have such a pattern of being really, really hard on ourselves and setting up these nearly impossible standards of achievement and learning to understand how to fail with grace and faith can change the whole paradigm, set you free, and instill a heart full of faith. Here I am practicing 20 years later, more than 20 years later, actually, and I can tell you that each time I get off my mat, there are some poses that I can do and some poses I can't do. There are some that I've been failing at for more than 20 years. In fact, I see some students now who are coming to the practice who are practicing for way less time than I've practiced. And they succeed at the posture faster than I did. And I'm still working on it after all. And whereas in the past with my goal-oriented thinking and my assignment of self-worth with achievement, I would have been real down on myself. But instead, now I can celebrate their successes and potentially learn from their good technique. And I can learn to be happy with wherever I am. In planting the seeds of gratitude in your heart as a practice, cultivating sort of an inner garden that is both truthful and grateful is such a big tool. So change your attitude about failure and understand that success is something that happens on each step of the journey. This is the way I believe we can practice yoga and change the world. If you change your paradigm in your yoga practice, then that's gonna naturally filter out into every circumstance in your life. You'll learn that you don't need to be against anyone else in order to succeed. You will learn that wholeness is the foundation of success in your life, in the practice, and in every moment. When you operate from that space, then you can allow yourself to take a meandering journey along the path, and you'll measure the success of your life by how much happiness, how much love, how much kindness, and how much joy you bring to yourself, to the world around you. Well, I hope you find a little bit of inspiration to get on your mat, to practice yoga, and to change your whole world. Whether you find that the poses come easily to you or you have to struggle, remember it's all about the process and what you learn along the way. It's a journey, not a destination. Your yoga practice is like a friend, a relationship that you'll grow with in each day and each practice of your whole life. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Namaste. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. 
Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.